Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for finding us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and more. We're also on Dash Radio every single day at 7 p.m. That's on their Nothing But Net channel. So download the Dash Radio app and search for Nothing But Net. Also, check out the Five Reasons YouTube channel. More than 5,000 streams last night of our post-game show hosted by Royal Shepherd. He's trying to steal people from me, so make sure you at least check out the people he's got right there right now. Again, that's the post-up show after every Miami Heat game. Also, the pre-game show before Floor, which Greg and I are on, and Floor's yours, which we will, we're trying to find a day for at some point this week. So we will definitely do that, and we will let you know. Also, check out 5reasonsports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsports.com for the latest takeaways from Brady Hawk as the buzzer sounds. And check out the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. I actually spent my morning here, um, which is why I'm a little bit exhausted. Uh, make sure you check out F45 in Cooper City. That's F45 in Cooper City. Every F45 is individually owned. We're trying to send you to this one. It's a great, great facility. They specialize in 45 fun and innovative, 45 minute fun and innovative high intensity inter- interval training programs. This is personal training in a group environment. Um, Basically, the person supervising today was trying to get me to do it correctly, which I appreciated. This is not a regular gym. This is a community that will keep you engaged and motivated. The workouts burn up to 500 calories per session. They'll help you drop the quarantine 15. Here's the best part. Month to month, no contract memberships. That's right. You're not going to end up with that thing where you've got this bill that's coming around and you can't get out of it from like, you know, the places I'm talking about. Um, it's You need a lawyer basically to get out of the contracts. There are no contracts here and you can get sessions for as low as eight bucks. They've got discounts for teachers, nurses, military, and first responders. You can try them out free for seven days. So certainly ask about their programs. The phone number is 954-745-4517. Notice all the four fives, 954-745-4517. And here's a bit of an announcement. We're going to make this easy for you. No contest. Like we're not going to make you remember a word or something. We're going to have a free F45 workout for five reasons contributors and our listeners next Wednesday, next Wednesday at four o'clock. If you're interested, reach out to me at five reasons sports on Twitter. Again, it's going to be free. This will give you the full exposure. It's going to be a regular program. We're going to have a few people from five reasons and we'll have a few listeners and it is COVID safe. I can tell you, you get your own little area. Uh, Everything is safe there. Probably have five or six of us from five reasons. So we've got room for at least five or six um, of you. So make sure you reach out by DM at five reasons sports. And now today's episode. One, two, three, four, five on the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alex Toledo and Greg Sylvander, part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Got the full crew tonight. Uh, I loaned Ariel and um, Ricky back to the streams. Got Greg Sylvander. You can follow him at Greg Sylvander. I've got Alex Toledo. You can follow him at Tropical Blanket. And what we're going to do today is we're looking for kind of, I don't know, positives right now. Like we've been very negative on the podcast throughout the season, all the struggles, haven't done as much hope trafficking maybe as you're accustomed to. Of course, the Heat are still under 500, but they're well positioned in the East. But we're not going to talk about positioning. We're going to talk about positives we're seeing from certain individual players. And in particular, what we're seeing from the Stars, what we saw against the Knicks, and what we're seeing from the Shooters. 
Let's start with the stars, guys. Uh, last night, third quarter, Jimmy Butler just basically took over. Um, he'd had enough, and he started getting to the rim at will using the left hand. I think he had 15 in the third, uh, ended up with 27 for the game. Have we seen this enough consistently, Greg, from Jimmy to believe that he can pretty much go to it whenever he wants? I think so. I think we've arrived at the place where Jimmy is basically um, – some version of unstoppable when he wants to be. And particularly uh, if somebody starts talking trash, uh, RJ Barrett. Um, and like, this is, I think it's a really interesting topic to, to kind of think about Jimmy and Bam, but really Jimmy, cause he's kind of the alpha from a mentality perspective to see their approach, these final, um, this final stretch run heading into the playoffs, because like, to your point, like we're not going to talk about positioning, but so much is like every game counts. Like there, there is no game on the schedule that no longer uh, you can afford to lose. So I'm personally interested to watch how Jimmy approaches the end of this season, because um, he's so accustomed to picking his spots and, and game over game, kind of choosing when he's going to become unstoppable Jimmy versus facilitator Jimmy. And I'm interested to see if he kind of takes on this role as uh, I'm getting us into the playoffs at the four seed come hell or high water. Yeah. Alex, to that point with the complaint about Jimmy, there's a different complaint about Bam, although there's some similarities, but the complaint about Jimmy has been at times that he waits too long. We saw during the winning streak or during that run where they only lost one game, he was not waiting too long, but then during the losing streak, it felt like at times he was, does he need to turn that switch on in like from the first quarter forward? Well, that's actually a good question. I know we've kind of talked about this in different ways throughout the past couple of seasons, especially early on last season when everybody was like, well, why isn't he taking more shots? But like Jimmy, to me, I, I agree with what, what Leif said, like he can pretty much do what, you know, what he wants, whenever he wants, whenever he decides to turn it up. I, I do think he tends to, you know, wait a little long before turning it up. I understand that's kind of his own, like, load management throughout the season. I've said that in the past, just like, I think that's how he kind of paces himself in general. And I don't really blame him for doing that. I think it's a good way to try to get his teammates going. And the difference between him and Bam is that Jimmy knows he can get to that zone whenever he wants. And I feel like Bam still kind of hesitates, right? Like he, he, he sometimes has those nights like he did last night where it's like, it's just going for him. He feels good from start to finish. And you know what, he, he's decisive and looking to score. And like, but he's not doing that consistently. And, you know, he's starting to trend in the right direction there. But, but I feel like Jimmy can do it whenever he wants. And he knows that. So Jimmy is just for a lot further along in, in the progression in, in that aspect. I want to throw something at you guys, because I've heard this from some close to Jimmy and, and even some inside the team. I've talked about the idea that Jimmy's better than the Heat thought he was. And again, that's that's difficult to process because when he got here, the Heat were so excited about it. And I remember on the day that Jimmy was introduced, Pat called him a top 10 player. And I tweeted that, I think, from my personal account. So it got a little bit wider circulation. And I can tell you that the mentions on that were interesting. I, I don't even know that Heat fans believe that. And I don't know that Jimmy believed that. And then when we sat down with Spolstra, and I, Alex, you were there. And we sat down with Spolstra at media day um, before Jimmy's first game with the Heat, first regular season game. And you know, we we're talking to him about it and, and he talked about how he envisioned what he envisioned for Jimmy and more of a playmaker and kind of described him as sort of a mini LeBron. And, and I was talking to somebody today about Jimmy and 
It's interesting. Jimmy kind of incorporates a little of the best of all of the Heat's best players, like not to their level, but he's got a little of all of them. He's got Dwayne, and I know he's wearing the sleeve yesterday, so people are talking about but he's got Dwayne's sort of old man game, right? Like his ability to make things happen even when he shouldn't, particularly from Dwayne's later stages of the career. He's got Zoe's intensity, right? Uh, and he's got LeBron's playmaking and IQ and feel for the game, which obviously overlaps with Dwayne too. He's got a little, he's like, he's not, quite a 10 at any of those things, but he's like an eight and a half or nine. And I feel like the other point to make here is not only is he maybe better than the heat thought he was, I think Jimmy's better than Jimmy thought he was. Does, does that make any sense? It, it does in a weird way. Cause you would think he like, he's had some prime years statistically in Chicago and even his, in his time in Minnesota. I mean, like the only time they sniffed the playoffs was when Jimmy was there. Um, He's, he's had some pretty prolific seasons, but he's kind of getting to things that um, that it just shows an evolution of his game. I mean, J- Jimmy was sold, as I understand it, um, was sold on the idea of kind of being a point guard for this team when they met with him to recruit him as a free agent. Like it was almost, you know, n- not that you're going to be the point guard, but but that was going to be a big part of his role. Um and it's interesting to see him expand his game in that way. If you look his uh, look at his averages, you know, over the course of his career and the way that he's expanded his passing and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a situation where they found a way to maximize him, but in a different way than he was, than maybe we expected. Cause I think like when he arrived here, a lot of us thought, Oh, we got a superstar. So we're going to see 40 points every night and, or, you know, some semblance of that. And while Jimmy can absolutely do that, we're finding that he actually is uh, a lot more than just that. And, and I just think that that part of it, maybe we just, I personally underestimated the, all the other stuff that he does. I knew he was a great defender. I knew he was scrappy. I knew that he could, you know, get, get buckets at times, but um, he's taken it to a whole nother level from the uh, playmaking perspective. I'm going to use this Alex as a way to transition to BAM because we saw last night, and I know our guy Marco Romo put this out on Twitter. Steve Jones did a, a really good breakdown of all of this. And, and the stuff that fans don't necessarily see, um, just the, the constant energy from Bam, the way he blows up plays on defense and everything else that he does. And, and I, I don't know who tweeted it today, but somebody tweeted essentially that we've been so focused on Bam's lack of aggression as a scorer at times that we sort of forget how much better He's gotten in all of these other areas, but, but I get back to this same point. Like we talk about Jimmy, not, not maybe being better than he thought he was. There's no doubt in my mind that Bam is better than Bam thought he would be. Like, I, I don't think Bam ever envisioned this for himself. I mean, last, I mean, he, he basically 20, 10 and five is, is a pretty standard game for him at this point. Those are even in a, in a, in this sort of pace. Those are his averages, right? Like, and, and even in this kind of pace era, obviously the heat don't play at a fast pace. So I, I understand that, you know, that, that we talk about pace and you have to compare numbers and all that, but I, I mean, does, does that make any sense? Alex, is that really, it seems to me like sometimes that's the issue because it does seem like Bam can take over a game whenever he feels like it. He's shooting almost 50% from mid range at this stage. Do you think the realization will come before the end of this season? See, just, like anything else, I really do feel like it's a slow progression with Bam. And he, he's starting to realize that I do think he, he thought that he could get to this level. I, I think he's a little bit surprised by how early it's happening. I mean, is Bam, Bam is in his fourth season right now. And look, 
I talked to him in his rookie year and, and he was always talking about Kevin Garnett and he's, you know, he's mentioned that multiple times throughout his uh, career here, but like he's kind of turning into a mold of Kevin Garnett right before our eyes and kind of has been the past couple of seasons. I think he's a little bit surprised by, you know, how fast, it, how early on in his career it's happening because it just doesn't seem like, you know, he feels like that every night, but you could just see it the way his body language last night. And again, I don't have my degree to, in, I don't have my PhD to be a body language doctor, but, but Bam was feeling himself last night. Like he got a, you know, a guy like Taj Gibson on him and it was just, it was just over. Like he knows that a slower big like that and pretty much 90% of the bigs guarding him cannot guard Bam's hesitation moves once he gets going. And it's like, he uses it to set up the jumper. If the guy's backing up, I mean, he has all those moves. It's just about wanting to do it. And I think a lot of the offense is really set up around him running the high post offense. And uh, that's usually what he's looking to do. But when he's feeling it, it looks really good. I do think he's going to figure it out. Uh, but, I mean, he, he was figuring it out during the playoffs last year. Like, I thought he was awesome during the playoffs last year. And I think we're going to see so, uh, kind of what he did last year slightly better. I mean, we're talking about his expectations and how quickly Alex didn't. Uh, I, I think I distinctly remember maybe you and Alf were in the locker room with him and you guys talked about what his averages were going to be for the season or maybe yep. his assist averages or something like that. And he gave you a number and he ended up hitting it by the end of the year. It was and like there was 15, also, 10 and 6. Yeah, exactly. That was and like I, around his averages last year, I believe. And I know the story has gone around about how he texts that to Dwayne um, and Dwayne said, oh, you're going to need to do, you know, basically what he's doing now, 20, 10 and five. And um, so it, it is an interesting thing where he's kind of got to it way, maybe sooner than the rest of us thought. But I think that there's a part of him that thought he could get here. Um, and it's just interesting to see it happen. Yeah, I mean, to that end, too. Um, when you talk about he's got everything. And we talk about who his models might be. And, you know, the, the name that was thrown out there, it's funny. I think back to draft night and the name that was mentioned by uh, Pat Riley was Sean Kemp, uh, which if you look at it, he's, he's a very different player. About that. Yeah, well, he's a very different player than Kemp. But I think, you know, they talked about how well he shot in the workouts. Now, people forget Sean Kemp when he was skinny, OK, or at least not what he became right where he ballooned about 100 pounds. Sean Kemp had a multi-dimensional game. I mean, he, he I watch, look back at that finals between the Sonics and the Bulls. The Bulls had no answer for him. He was able to step out. Now he was not the passer that Bam is, but you know, Bam, I remember talking to Derek Jones Jr. And asking him, you know, who, uh, I think we had Derek on the podcast, um, you know, in its previous incarnation. And, and I remember asking Derek about, you know, who's the best dunker on the team. He's like, it's Bam. He's like, it's Bam. Bam can do things I can't do. Now, again, a little bit of modesty there from somebody who's a close friend. But I, I feel like this thing has morphed because when he came in the league, we talked about like, again, Clint Capella, like a model like that or an energy big. And now when you start to talk about Kevin Garnett, it doesn't sound so crazy. I mean, I don't know which incarnation of Garnett because the early incarnation of Garnett was very different from the Boston incarnation where he kind of, uh, became more of a, a mid-range shooter and sort of just scowling at people and anchoring their defense in Minnesota though. I mean, Kevin Garnett was on every spot of the floor and was basically essentially unguardable. I, I don't know that Bam gets to that, but I definitely think that if he can develop a little bit more of that Garnett mentality, 
as you mentioned, Greg, the skills are all there. He's, he's got everything. I mean, he has he has everything. I mean, he's not a post-up player per se, but the game has changed where you don't need it. But everything you possibly need facing the basket, he can do. And even with his back to the basket, it's just usually at the high post instead of the low post. So I think the frustration from Heat fans is when Jimmy's out, you want Bam to take over. There was that little sequence in the game yesterday when Jimmy's out and Dragic is out and they look awful. And I do think that's where Oladipo will help. And we talked about that on the pod last night. But I just think Heat fans, when they see him pull up for jumpers from 17 feet with total confidence and drain them at a 50% rate, they just want to see it more often. When they see him take a guy off the dribble like he did last night, they want to see him do that to the Plumleys. Okay? Like, and, and I just think it's the consistency of it. It's not the ceiling. We talk about it. There's no ceiling. But it's sometimes Bam decides to play near the floor. And, and I, I feel like there's more there once he kind of realizes it. But I think in both cases, we've seen positive signs. And that's kind of what this podcast uh, is about. Both of these guys kind of rounding into shape. All right. We're going to get next to the shooters and how sustainable some of the recent improvements are. Before we do, I want to tell you about two sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network that have the same code. If you want to bet, use mybookie.ag. That's mybookie.ag. You get a bonus with the code five. Um, so go there. It's the best platform. You can do the live betting. If you want to play daily fantasy, we recommend that you go to prizepicks.com. Again, use the code five for a bonus. I just won last night. Again, they got those single stat categories. I played Jimmy over on points. I played Harden over on points. I paired the two of them together. I threw down 20 bucks. I won 60. Um, it's that easy. Okay. So I'm not saying you're going to win every night, but if you know the NBA, you'll do pretty damn well there. Also, they're starting MLB this week. Obviously, opening day is Thursday, so go over or under on hit strikeouts. They've got all the single stat categories there as well. So if you're a baseball fan, you want to try prize picks as well. Again, it's prizepicks.com. It's mybookie.ag, and for both of them, use the code five. All right, let's get to the shooters. Um, Greg, you unearthed this. I think uh, you saw this on Twitter. Since the trade deadline, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are shooting better. Is that a coincidence? It's interesting. Like, uh, and shout out to uh, at the Mad Heat fan for this one. The last three games after the trade deadline, Duncan um, is shooting 58% from three. Hero is shooting 43.5% from three. And none, only on four attempts, is shooting 62.5% from three. Um, it's interesting, just coincidence. We think it's a coincidence. I don't know. But this is, I guess, when we talk about positives and what we're looking for um, as this team, because like when you look at the standings, like there's no team that has two players as good as Jimmy and Bam. And there's no team that has as many good shooters as Miami does in theory. If you look at the standings, um, like every team that that is near Miami from a record perspective has nothing like the arsenal that they do. And if the shooters round into form, any just and obviously like this 58% from Duncan is not sustainable, but it may get him closer back up to that 40% mark. If they can start to do that a little bit more, it may, and then you got Oladipo coming into play. I mean, like that's one of the things that I'm I'm gonna be looking at. It's Jimmy's approach, as we talked about earlier in the in the podcast, and then the shooters and how they react to that approach. And if they're hitting shots, I mean, it changes everything for this team. Yeah, I want to focus more, uh, Alex, on Tyler, though. I, I feel like Duncan, sometimes it comes down to the quality of looks. I know he's missed, you know, more open shots than he did last year. But some of it's product of the offense. I, Tyler creates his own looks, but has in a lot of times, but hasn't 
again, we made a pull up three yesterday and I was like, what? Because I haven't feel like I haven't seen that all season. Um, how sustainable is his improvement lately? I think it's sustainable for sure. I, I just think with him, it's always been about putting it together and figuring out when to take what shots. Cause I do feel like in theory, he's a young three level scorer. And again, I say that as somebody like that, that's the type of shots that he takes. It's not that he's a, you know, he's a high level one yet, but off the bench, that's the type of guy that he is. That's the type of player that he's been this season, right? Whereas last season, I felt like he was more of a shooter. This season, he's been trying to mix it up a little bit. And I'm good with that because I do think he's skilled enough to score in the mid-range, score in the paint, even though, you know, he shies away from contact and, you know, can finish with both hands. Like, it's always, to me, for, for him, it's about, like, figuring out when to do it. And so the, the thing is, I feel like he's been trying to do so much of everything that he, he needs to go back to his bread and butter, which is shooting. And look, he shot very well last night, sort of Duncan. And, and it's a good thing when they both shoot well together. Like, that's a great thing for the Heat. It feels like it, it rarely happens. But the team as a whole still shot 10 of 34 from three, which is 29%. So, and <laughs> so still I scored only 98 points, right? Yeah. I mean, I know that I don't want a good defensive much. team. No, it's definitely it's definitely a good sign for sure. I'm not trying to poo-poo everything, but it's just like they need to get better looks. Tyler needs to not be hesitating on taking those threes when they're open because I feel like he's always looking to try to set up a better shot. But if Tyler is hitting hitting the open threes, hitting the pull-up threes, they just become so much harder to guard. So I think as long as he keeps mixing it up to you know the, the proper balance, it'll it'll be good for him. Greg, who's going to be, let's say that Duncan does get closer to his percentages from last year. It's going to be tough with the way he's guarded. Let's say that Tyler considers this run a hot play. Who's going to be the third shooter? Because Kelly's not there anymore, and there were times that that he did give you that. We've seen that Ariza has, he's done some other things well, but he struggled with the shot since he came. Bielitsa, maybe, but he didn't shoot the ball well in Sacramento. We'll see if that changes here. Iguodala, I think we know at this point, you, you know, you may get a clutch one from him from time to time, but it's kind of a no, 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 no. Yes. Like who's, is it Kendrick? I mean, is Kendrick going to get enough time to be the other shooter? That, that would kind of be my question there. Yeah. That's it. it it's a good question. Well, Dragic, I guess. Right. I mean, I guess, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Goran. I mean, he's a 35% three point shooter this year. So I, I, I think that he's definitely uh, a player that, that, has room to grow in that area. I think um, also, I mean, you're not going to rely a lot on Oladipo to do this, but I mean, he sh shoots 36%. I mean, if you look down the roster, uh, Max Struess, who is kind of uh, um, all we talk about is his shooting. He's shooting 36% from three. So at, you know, at some point, I think that it could be a culmination of um, kind of a, like you have your two mainstays that are hitting on a night to night basis. And then you're going to kind of have to rely on a mixed bag of guys to, um, to step up. And, uh, and that's like the interesting part about this, because how many non-shooters can you have on the floor when you have Jimmy and Bam, you can't really have any non-shooters on the floor. Well, that's well. And, and yesterday they played that Ariza Guadala lineup. And then, you know, you really only have one room for one shooter. And, you know, I, that's the other thing we talk about how some of the shooting has gone down this season. And this has gone from a very good shooting team to a very poor shooting team. You also don't have, you know, Crowder playing way above expectations like he did in the bubble and then the Olympic Knights that you would get. Right. So so you don't have those two things. So really, it does fall upon. And then if none's not going to play much, it really falls upon Hero, Robinson and Dragic to shoot. You know, Robinson's case over 40 percent and Hero and Dragic's case to Hero's got to get over 35 and Dragic has got to get closer to 40, which is where he was in the bubble. So, I, I mean, I, I think there are some green shoots here, 
um, so to speak, but I don't know any, you, you know, even last year you had Myers Leonard who would, you know, make one out of 1.5 out of four threes on occasion, you know, which, which would give you something. So I, I guess um, as we close here, I mean, Belitza, and- don't forget about him, but the thing is, right. is I, to me, he doesn't look in shape. I think like, it'll probably yeah. be like game three of the first round before he passes. He's in Sacramento he shape. That's yeah. the, you, you know, you know, the, the funny thing about it is a reason not playing for a year is in better shape than, uh, than Bielitsa <laughs> is coming out of Sacramento. It's not surprising. One thing that just came in as we were potting uh, Scott Agnes, who covers the Pacers knows them very well. I know Scott. Well, uh, he says he's not expecting Oladipo to play against the Pacers, his old team tomorrow. That's our expectation. Also, um, I thought he might prob- open up Thursday. He's still in Miami with a head cold. So kind of just to mention that, um, Alex, I'm going to let you close here on this. Uh, do you see enough from the shooters to think that the shooting won't be a problem the rest of the season? No. So I definitely can't say that it won't be a problem. Like they have not been, you know, that, that level of shooting team that they were last year, not even close. And I understand that like, if you like shout out to Cooper Moorhead, who is, you know, one of the best at covering the heat, and he, he pointed out, I want to say last week, that if you look at the Heat's three-point shooting and true shooting and move it over to this season, it would rank closer to the middle than the top, whereas all of last year are ranked in the top three. So that's it's important context, but understanding that they it just hasn't been the same threat. It hasn't. So I, I need to see not only improvement, but consistent improvement. Like, again, I, I like that it's going in the right direction right now. I do feel good about the team moving forward in general. Like, I think Bielitsa, once he does get in shape, is going to be a nice addition. I think of him as a better shooter than Kelly. And obviously, I've seen a lot more of Kelly Olenek than Nemanja Bielitsa. But that's just in my mind. Like, I'm excited for Bielitsa once he does get in shape. As far as, like, the team as a whole, I just, again, I need to see it consistently. And that's what we haven't seen this whole time. I I expect Oladipo and his drives to create some easier looks. And it's just about hitting the open ones. Like, they... You know, you see a lot of Ariza and Iguodala taking open threes that did not work out last night. It's okay, but it, like you said, the the shooting needs to be carried by Tyler, Duncan, Goran, and now you know whenever he starts to play a lot, uh, be Elisa. So I, I feel better about the team in general, but mm-hmm. not good enough to say that it's not a problem. I think they've got to have and Duncan's got to be in the forties, and they got to have four other guys thirty five percent or better. Uh, to me, that's those are the numbers I would look at if they have. You know, whether it's Hero, uh, you know, Bielitsa, Oladipo, Dragic, some combination of four guys has got to be shooting 35% or better. Otherwise, they're not going to be a good enough shooting team. All right. Thanks to Alex. Thanks to Greg. We got one bonus here for you. I do this weekly segment with our sponsor, Eric Brown from five reasons, Make sure that you reach out to him. Check out the website. He challenges me on some things. Here's my conversation with Eric today. All right. Now we're back with our usual segment it's called value plays we're here with eric brown from five reasons realtor.com five reasons realtor.com that's the best way to find him we'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go forward he's the official realtor of the five reasons sports network but he's also a huge heat fan been a long time season ticket holder and he joins me weekly here to discuss value as it comes to transactions the heat the nba and everything else along those lines usually throws some things at me that he forces me to actually answer questions which I always enjoy and I usually get wrong. Eric, start. Let's talk about the trade deadline real quickly. Uh, three transactions, uh, basically of players that were of providing no or little value to the Heat uh, for players that hopefully will provide some value. Sylvan Harkless for uh, Bielitsa 
which uh, hopefully you know, that's going to work out, give us some three-point shooting. Uh, Olenek and Bradley and the pick swap, uh, for which amounts to a, basically a low-cost look at Victor Oladipo, who hopefully can uh, restore some of his or uh, regain some of his um, lost uh, performance as an all-star, but at the bare minimum, it's going to provide an upgrade as a perimeter defender, which the Heat sorely need. And then lastly, uh, the Heat unloaded a uh, hate-spewing anti-Semite for a guy who hasn't played in a year. And anytime you can do that, that's a win for the Heat as well. So three trades, all three had positive value for the Heat. However, on closer inspection, I think we have to realize that our entire offseason just went out the door. All three of those guys, which were described as having very little value, just went out the door. Uh, and as a result, I want to save you and Alex and Greg some time. You don't have to reconvene. Uh, I'm going to give you the grade for the offseason for the front office F, without question. Uh, that's an F. And also, it's left us with plugging in, uh, as I just mentioned, a guy who hasn't played in a year, Trevor Ariza, as as the four, and we're rummaging around up in, at Sawgrass at the outlet stores, looking in the discount buyout bin for a five, you know, a backup five for Bam, who we needed, it was obvious that we needed last year when we were in the bubble. So I want to know, uh, how do you defend that? And what are we going to do about it going forward? Well, first, I want to defend the outlet stores. You can get a pretty good deal at Nordstrom, <laughs> uh, pro probably better than Dwayne Dedman. Uh, I can't really defend the offseason except to say this. And, and look, in terms of production, I would probably say D, D, D minus just because Precious has given them something. And that's a first round pick that they used. And we, we know he's struggling, but uh, there is some value there long term. I, they didn't get anything out of Harkless and Bradley. Um, Harkless, you know, was a clear miss. Bradley more so because of the injuries and COVID. So there's some extenuating circumstances there. The only reason I give them a little bit of a pass on it, not, not a complete pass, but a little bit of a pass is because they, they did try to do other things. I mean, they, they did believe they had Marcus Morris uh, that didn't end up working out their reasoning for not signing Crowder. I understood because they were in for Giannis. And I think, you know, obviously if they knew what they, what they know now that Giannis was going to resign, they would have handled the off season differently. Um, I'm not saying they made the best choices, but I also want to go back and think, at the time, you know, splitting the mid-level exception on one-year deals between Avery Bradley, who has been a productive player, sort of he was going to solve the point of attack problems. He played well last year for the Lakers before he opted out of the bubble. And Mo Harkless, who's been a functional guy that they liked before. I don't think their expectations there were particularly high, but they did start him in the first game of the season. So they were expecting some contribution. I think when you look at that, I, I couch it a little bit. Um, with that being said, I then pivot and say a lot of organizations sit on their mistakes. The Heat typically do not. And, and you know, they have at times made mistakes by overpaying guys. And, you know, I don't want to relive 2016 and 2017. But for the most part, when they make a mistake, they get off of it. They're not proud about it. And, and so I want to give them some credit for at least acknowledging, look, Silva was a project they put some time into, but really wasn't going to develop into much. Harkless was a bust. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. Bradley wasn't giving them what they expected. Um, and they get off of all of those three guys. You mentioned the Myers situation, which looks looking back now. And at the time, it looked like a mistake to give him $9 million. But I don't really think that kept them from doing anything else. Like people look at, the, at him or Crowder as an either or. It really wasn't. They offered Jay $14 million for one year. I mean, 
that's a pretty reasonable contract. So I, I'm not going to, and they also what gets forgotten is they re, they did re-sign Dragic. Now I know that Goran has not had the kind of season and it looks like he's lost a step or at least some explosiveness. Um, so does, he hasn't had the kind of season they expected, but at the time re-signing Goran was not a, a foregone conclusion and they got him, you know, at a, a reasonable rate that should allow them to at least be able to get him for cheaper going forward if they want to. So Eric, I'm with you. The off season was not one of their better off seasons, but I will say this. It's not as bad as the 2016 and 2017 off seasons when they lost their franchise player in Dwayne Wade created bad blood overpaid James Johnson, Hassan Whiteside uh, and, uh, and Dion waiters, uh, none of whom, all of whom they had to try to get rid of later on. And Kelly Olenek, they brought in, who was fine, um, but, I mean, he, he was fine. I mean, he's the one. But And Tyler Johnson, too, who they overpaid. So this is not their worst offseason, not their best, I'd say D. Uh, using that John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins uh, grading scale. I no, 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 no. Hopkins, that would be an F minus. Trust <laughs> me. I would have no chance of even getting back in the classroom. <laughs> okay. Um, the other uh, thing I wanted to talk about was there was an article that Kirk Goldsberry dropped on ESPN.com a couple of weeks ago entitled Coastal Elite Status of the NBA Superstars and Super Teens. And uh, really what it describes as as a result of player empowerment that uh, superstars are moving you know, primarily to coastal cities, namely New York and Los Angeles. And as background in the story, he mentions that between 1969 and 2010, only seven of 41 finals MVPs won the award after changing teams. But since 2010, eight of the 10 that have won the award won the award after they changed teams. And also currently, there's only 17 active uh, players who have been named first team All-NBA at least once in their career. And if you add in uh, Steph Curry and San Francisco, so you have five teams, that would only leave another seven players spread out amongst the rest of the 25 teams in the league that have uh, players on their rosters that were named first team All-NBA at least one in their career. And he, he also details, which I find, you know, found very interesting, and I think it has, uh, it has ramifications for the Heat, that the way draft picks are now valued are very different. If you're one of the coastal elite teams, you don't value draft picks for keeping, uh, keeping them and developing the players. You're using them to buy players from other teams, like what uh, the Brooklyn did with James Harden. Here, take our picks. We're just going to extract your superstar you know, from your team. Uh, whereas the teams that are not, not these, these elite teams, they're valuing the picks more than ever before because that's their only way of developing a potential superstar is to you know, uh, organically to homegrown that and player development. So it, it's created these like two different NBA team, two different NBAs and two different worlds. So my question to you is, in where do you think, what classification do you think that the, the Heat are in? Are they these quote coastal elite teams and or not? And what are they doing to attract superstars? And what could they do better? Because right now we don't have a player on our roster that was a first team uh, all NBA player. I guess the last would have been uh, Wade or LeBron. I don't, I don't even remember if Wade made first team, uh, certainly LeBron did. Yeah, no, Wade didn't during the big three era. I think he, 
he may have in 2008, 2009, I, I believe was probably the last time I'd have to look that up. Um, well, first thing, I mean, I, I thought the article is interesting. I mean, you look, all you have to do is look at new Orleans and Oklahoma city, right? Like these are not coastal elite teams and they're hoarding draft picks. Well, why are they hoarding draft picks? Because they can't get free agents. So essentially they're trying to, in the same way that, you know, players like Zion and Durant and, and uh, Westbrook and Harden have been drafted to those places. They're going to try either to draft that player again, or more likely once they have a core of at least two or three of those guys. And in, in the case of new Orleans, they seem to have two with Ingram and, and Zion. And I think they've got one with SGA, uh, you know, with OKC, once they have a core of, of, of star level type players, then they're going to flip those draft picks to bring the stars in similarly to the way OKC brought in Paul George. Uh, they'll probably make trades like that again. So I do think that that trend exists, but I don't think the heat should be afraid of that trend. I mean, the reality is, for years and years and years, players picked Miami over New York. Um, I, and so, and for a while, they didn't pick LA either. Um, it, was, it was only after LeBron finally agreed to go there, but we kept talking about how nobody wanted to play for the Lakers. Um, I mean, remember Marcus Aldridge conversation we were having this week, LaMarcus spurned the Lakers. Remember he was supposed to go to the Lakers. He ended up going to San Antonio. I tried to remind people of that this week. So he didn't want a meeting with the Lakers. So I, I don't, I don't think it's permanent. I think there are about seven or eight franchises that are more attractive than others. Interestingly, a couple of the elite franchises historically, which I think you could look at the Bulls and the Celtics in particular, have not been able to attract free agents. Um, I can't remember the last attractive free agent who went to Chicago or, or, or even to Boston, well, it, for that matter. Doesn't, doesn't that have um, more to do with the lifestyle, particularly in the case of Boston? Uh, that's it, it does. But, but, that, but that's my point. How, how many other franchises in the league are more attractive than Miami? Boston is not. Chicago is not. And those are two of the biggest cities. Toronto is a great city. It's not more attractive than Miami. Atlanta is not more. Atlanta's had a lot of difficulty attracting free agents. I have a theory on that. A lot of players like to party in Atlanta. They don't want to live in Atlanta for the same reason, actually. Um, but uh, you know, the, the attractive franchises, Dallas has been considered a somewhat attractive franchise for a while. Mark Cuban has had a hell of a time attracting free agents. Uh, Houston's done OK with it. But again, this is my point. I, I don't think I read Kirk's story, but I don't think it's something to be afraid of for the heat. They're still attractive when they haven't been able to get guys. It hasn't been because they didn't want to play for Riley or didn't want to play in the sun or didn't want the no state tax. It's it was basically because the heat didn't have the money or didn't have the core Durant would have come, but his choice was playing with an aging Dwayne Wade who they hadn't even re-signed or going out to play with the greatest team of all time <laughs> or one of them uh, in Golden State. So, I mean, that's an easy choice. Gordon Hayward went to play for his college coach. And to be honest, the heat dodged a bullet there. So, and, and look, the heat got Jimmy Butler who may not be first team all NBA, but he's a top 10, top 15 player in the league. And they got him with no cap space. And Victor Oladipo just begged his way to play here. And Bradley Beal, if he goes anywhere else other than Washington, it'll be Miami. So I just, I don't, I don't think there's any narrative that would say, look, the Lakers are the Lakers. And if they have star players, they're going to attract players. But even like I said, they didn't for years. And it's a very short list. I mean, players going to play for the Clippers. I mean, Kawhi's a weird dude, man. Like, but I, you know, Paul George wanted to be in, in LA and Kawhi's from there. 
but I, I really don't think this is a concern. I think there are some sleeping giants in the NBA. I think Phoenix has been a sleeping giant for a long time. A lot of players, particularly older players, they like the climate. They like the golf. Um, it's just been a bad organization. Uh, I think Orlando is another one we've seen has been able to attract some free agents over time. I mean, going all the way back to Grand Hill and Tracy McGrady. But I don't think the Heat are banging on the window out, you know, out in the cold on this one. I, I really, I think they're fine. They just need the cap space. That's what they need. If they have the cap space, sometimes they don't even need the cap space. They just, they need to create favorable conditions. And I think now they have a player in BAM who's attractive enough that they should be able to get guys to come. Ethan, I actually agree with you. I think that really that the Heat should be in that group of four or five or six because of uh, the, the lifestyle in South Florida, because of no state tax. And right now, we haven't gotten there. So I'm uh, part of what I'm kind of hinting at is we should have cap space and we should have draft picks. And I, I, I think this discounting of draft, draft picks has to stop. Even, even this trade, if you look at that trade in, in a vacuum where they gave up the pick swap in 22, uh, that itself kind of devalued uh, the 22 pick because that's in all probability going to be Brooklyn's pick and barring a disaster uh, with, with, uh, with Brooklyn, that's going to be a swap. And uh, you know, that, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned that we're not valuing draft picks. We should have cap space and we should have draft picks and we should align ourselves and consider ourselves, uh, uh, position ourselves as one of these quote coastal elite unquote and be able to go out and get more players than we've got. Yeah, no, and, and I, I agree with you, and that's why I was so against what happened in 2016 and 2017 because I kept saying that he took themselves out of the room, uh, which they should never do. They should always leave that door ajar uh, no matter what the circumstances, and I believe that they've done that in this case. Now, the draft picks, another conversation, but but related. I mean, that's more to do with trades, and they didn't have the capital to get Harden. I mean, no matter what anybody says, they, they, they couldn't even get in the room for that conversation. Exactly, exactly the point. That's exactly they, they, they didn't have what Houston wanted. I'm with you on it, um, but I do think they've remedied the cap space situation. The pick situation takes a little bit longer, and you know that is probably not something that's going to remedy completely until Riley is gone. All right, you got one more for me. Yeah, and, uh, I want to ask you, uh, now that uh, we've got Oladipo, I'm really curious what, what you think. If Oladipo comes in and performs fairly well, it doesn't have to be super all-star, but let's just say he puts up 46, 36, 75% free throw line, say 18 points a game. Would you rather re-sign him and try to sign and trade, assuming we could sign and trade for Kyle Lowry? Let's say you got 50 million between the two of those two, between the two of those guys. Uh, and that would mean probably hanging on to uh, Tyler. You'd probably have to sign and trade Duncan and then include uh, Dragic or Iggy. Or would you rather trade Hero and Goran and Iggy and possibly Duncan and, and whatever picks and swaps we got left and get Bradley Bill. And does either of those get you into the into real title, serious title consideration? Uh, I'll answer this question uh, very short. Uh, I think you do what you can do to get Bradley Beal. I, I think he's um, a generational scorer. 
who just needs to be unleashed on the right team. And I also think he fits their culture. And I think that his defense would improve, maybe not to the level that Oladipo has gotten to over the course of his career, but Bradley's been a pretty good defender. I think that the culture in Washington has been detrimental for that. Uh, to me, any team that starts with, and again, Bradley Beal is younger than James Harden, which is why this is a different conversation for me. Any, any team that starts with Bam, Jimmy, and Bradley Beal, let the heat figure the rest of that out. Plus remember um, that probably to bring Beal in, you're going to be probably moving guys like Robinson in particular, who you may not want to pay anyway. So if you're going to reallocate that space, I would reallocate it to Bradley Beal. Um, I, I will say this as we close, I saw Bradley Beal's video where he was talking to some players on his AAU team the other day. I'm incredibly impressed with Bradley Beal. I, I just, I, <laughs> I just think that to me, he's the guy. Um, I, saw, I saw that video. It was impressive. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, to me, he's the heir to Dwayne. Um, if they could get him, I think Oladipo is a good stopgap. I think it's fine. If, if they, you know, if Depot has a good two, three months here and they feel like he's bought in and that the money won't change him. I feel like and he wants to be here and, and Jimmy's comfortable comfortable with him, which is a big part of this. I know Jimmy's comfortable with Beal. I'm not sure about Oladipo. I think it then makes sense to take a look at, you know, paying Oladipo, not the max, um, but something you know reasonably in the vicinity. Uh, but to me, Bradley Beal uh, makes, I mean, he, he's the guy for me and he's been the guy for me for, and to be honest, he's been the guy for them other than Giannis and he fits better than Giannis does with Bam and Jimmy anyway. All right. Where do, where do people find you and, and, uh, and how can you help them? Five reasons, realtor.com. I can help them with uh, purchasing a house, selling a house, just advice. If they have a real estate problem, uh, they can contact me uh, through the website. All my contact information is there. So, so go to five reasons, realtor.com. Eric, we'll be back next week. Appreciate it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. 